the meat of the podcast. <laughs> have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It feels like I won't ever make it home. Graphics backed up, I got to get off of this road. Hooked on the gas, I swear to God, I'm in my zone. This is She's in Russia. I'm Smith. And I'm Lily. And we're both in New York for this episode. Okay, so what is today's episode about? Okay, so today we are covering the very tragic fire in Kemerova, Russia. Just to give people context if they don't know what I'm talking about, there was a fire at a mall. The mall is called Winter Cherry in this Siberian town called Kemerova. And the fire took place a week ago on Sunday, March 25th. So this is something that is on the minds of every Russian. It's something that people are really thinking about um, and mourning right now. And we just wanted to dedicate this episode to this topic to give a little bit more insight for people who don't really know what happened and what's going on. Just to give a little background. As I said, the fire took place on March 25th. The official count of people who died in the fire is 64 total, and that includes 41 children. So Kemerova is a mid-sized city with about half a million residents, so that makes it similar in, in population size to Portland, Oregon. It is centrally located in Russia in terms of east to west. It's in Siberia, as I said, but it's in southern Siberia, so it's like towards the southern border of Russia. The city is celebrating its 100th year anniversary this year in 2018. And during the Soviet era, it was an industrial city with metal and chemical manufacturing. So the site of the fire is this shopping mall slash like entertainment center, the way a lot of malls are with, you know, like a playground zone, a movie theater, a petting zoo, a bowling alley, uh, restaurants, etc., bowling alley, skating rink. This particular day, March 25th, why this was a particularly horrible time for a accident like fire to take place, the mall was very full and it was especially full of children. Um, it was a Sunday afternoon and specifically people were, a lot of people came to see a showing of a movie, a cartoon called Sherlock Gnomes that was showing at 2.40 p.m. As in a lot of malls, the movie theater is located on the top floor. It's very difficult to get out of that area and the kids area was also on the top floor and that's where the fire also originated the fire itself started at approximately 4 p.m okay so before we actually get started we just kind of want to acknowledge that we fucked up a little bit last week with this um we got an email from somebody who's from Kemerova, and her point was basically like this large tragedy happened, everybody was thinking and talking about it, and you didn't acknowledge it on your last episode. And that's true. And 
we're sorry that 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 that's the case. I mean, obviously, we re-record the episodes long before, oftentimes long before they come out. So the episode it's not obvious. It's not obvious. So the episode last week was you know had been recorded a few weeks prior to that. But this person who wrote us was right. We probably should have tacked on a note there and just acknowledged that people were going through this pretty traumatic experience. Yeah, and I mean, we were. It's we're like trying to really sincerely apologize for this oversight, basically, because we, as Smith said, we had already recorded the episode about the Russian soul, and we will try to be more diligent about, like, even if we have something scheduled, if something comes up that is very current, we will try to be uh, more responsive to it. We just were making a point of not rushing the episode about this topic, because I think we wanted to take our take some time with it yeah okay all right start us off okay so one of the survivors of this tragedy who um, is like getting a lot of press from various sources right now is this man from Kamarova named Igor Vostrikov he lost his entire family in the fire he his sister wife and three children were all in the movie theater he has taken on this role it's it's a little bit of a contentious role because he has been extremely outspoken from the very beginning so he's kind of taken on this role of like a community organizer getting people to speak out against the negligence in terms of fire safety in the in the small because it's not just like everything worked, but people died anyway. He's contentious because he's voiced kind of like conflicting opinions. We're not making any judgments about him. Like this person is in a very extreme state of probably a lot of things. Basically, in the process of uncovering like the truth behind the situation, what actually happened, what actually went wrong, he got access to security videos from inside the mall. And on March 31st, he posted in his Instagram, like a video of a video of one of the security videos that shows this part of the mall where the movie theaters are. So you see like the the doors from the movie theaters. So he posted this video in his Instagram and he narrates the video. So it's already Люди начали эвакуироваться. Вот дверь, вот, вот это синий зал получается, и сразу же дверь красный зал, кинотеатр. В красном все погибли, потому что заперлись. Дверь открыта в красном, да? Красный зал просто, она открыла дверь и побежала девочка туда дальше. Она ничего не крикнула. Время сейчас уже 45 минут с момента пожара. Okay, so the point of this video is that Vostrakov is showing that not all the doors to the theaters, there's multiple theaters, not all the doors are blocked because, as he's describing, you can see people evacuating out of two of the three doors. You also see there's a third theater, which he says the red theater, and he notes that that's the theater where everyone died inside that theater, where the door may have been locked, but you see a woman unlocking it and then like running everyone's running down the she hall. unlocks she unlocks it from the outside or she comes out of it i think un, uh, like unlocks it from the outside and then people evacuate from it no nobody like i'm pretty sure that the, the issue with that was that it was like people 
still weren't able to get out or didn't know what was happening until too late. They didn't know. Nobody said anything. There were no fire alarms. That's another thing. There were no alarms. So this is part of the negligence that Igor and many others are very, like, obviously concerned about, is that there were no fire alarms. There was no signaling. The lights didn't even go off right away. So no one knew what was going on. They were just watching a movie. Okay. Basically, yeah, the back and forth about whether or not the doors were closed. This video is part of clarifying that, like, people were evacuating, the doors were open, but because people didn't know what was going on, they weren't able to get out in time. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so one of the, like, horrors of this situation that I've now touched on a bit with the doors is that people were trapped and or unaware of the fact that there was a fire. So for many people, specifically the people who weren't able to get out, by the time they figured out what was happening, it was either too chaotic, there were too many crowds, or it's, it's sort of unclear what the reason is, but people eventually lost consciousness from carbon monoxide, from smoke, the smoke from the fire. People, once, you know, like the smoke entered the theater and they realized that there was some, that there was a fire, that something was happening, people immediately were calling their, calling their friends and family on the phone. And a lot of the relatives of victims of this fire recount how they received phone calls over and over again. And uh, it was this really horrible, awful situation in which they could, there was nothing that they could do. There, there were several stories of relatives who were somewhere else in the mall and got a phone call from inside the theater and tried to get to that floor and were unable to get there because already like the level of smoke made it so that they lost they were going to pass out they realized they couldn't breathe as they were trying to like get closer to the doors there's also this situation in which because it was like it was the start of spring bake and it's a sunday and a bunch of people wanted to just like hang out and relax at the mall there were school groups and there was a group of children 12 year old children on like a field trip basically and their teachers weren't even with them because they, like, got the movie tickets and then went and did something else. In some cases, teachers were there, but one of the groups of school children, one of the girls in that group called her aunt, and her aunt retold that later to journalists and retold the phone call. <laughs> She's explaining how her niece called her. The last time she called her was at 4.11. And she called her saying, I can't get out. I can't breathe. She was like, I told her to cover her face. I told her to take off her clothes and cover her face. And then she describes how her niece said, this is like really rough. She said like, tell everyone that I loved them. Tell my mom that I loved her. And she specifically used the, the past tense. So what was happening when this, this horrible like confusion, last minute realization, people f- phone calling when it's already too late. At this point, there's no official information coming out. There's no information on state news channels. There's no state of emergency or anything like that. People who are getting these phone calls come, of course, to the mall, start gathering outside of it. Eventually, the ministry, uh, like 
the emergency workers, the Ministry of Emergency Situations, it's called in Russian. They set up a temporary like headquarters in the gym of a school nearby, school number seven. That's where the relatives and family start to gather. And they're looking for information. They're, they have no idea what's going on. There's no confirmation. No one came out of the mall to explain nothing. It, it, it's like this horrible vacuum. And I mean, of course, it's like at this point, like, the fire trucks have arrived at the mall and you there, you can see like smoke and fire coming out of the mall. It's not like people don't know what's going on if they're standing there, but no one knows the status of are people being saved? How many people are in there? Have Has anyone been saved? Like, where are they? So people gather in the school gym and the situation there is like there are some kind of makeshift. I don't even know, like, like someone brings... A, you know, chairs, someone brings a table with like tea on it and like snacks. There are, I believe, psychiatrists there. There are priests there. And then there's all these mostly parents, um, parents and grandparents. And people ended up being in that gym for, for the whole night, basically like for days. Some people, I mean, they just like not taking off their jackets or anything, just like sitting on the floor. I think somebody brought like mattresses, but nobody was gonna like sleep. You know, every so often like people, officials would come in and people would try to demand information from them. And at one point the, at one point the fire chief and some firefighters come into this gym and have a kind of like conversation shouting match with the relatives there. So, I mean, even if you can't understand what is being said, you can hear that there are like voices interrupting each other, going over each other. The voices of the firefighters are a little more like quiet because I think the person holding the camera was one of the relatives. But it's kind of a face off and they're not they're not exactly like they're just repeating themselves and trying to explain we, you know, did what we could. We were there to save people. That's what we did. And what you hear from the relatives are these repetitions of in the beginning, you hear a man saying, why, why, why? You hear a woman saying, like, how were you saving them when they were burning? Like, did you pass out or something? Because why did you turn back? Why did you leave them there locked in the rooms? So to give some context for, like, what happened with the firefighters, because, like, the system of the alarm system didn't go off, it's, like, arguable, though it's impossible for, definitely for us to say, and I think for anyone really to say at this point without further investigation, but it's possible... Um, that it just 
really like was one of this like this like hellhole situation where it wouldn't have been possible to save them even if everything had worked better for example if the firefighters had gone faster to the top floor if they had if their ladders had worked better which they didn't immediately they like struggled to get the ladders up and at least one person but more than one person I just saw a video of one person jumped out of the window of the top floor like an 11 year old boy who is not dead and is getting getting medical care the situation though it's definitely like a combination of equipment not being good enough not fast enough response but also just this like death trap situation with the way the theater was built the way the building was built what one account i read was uh from a father who's three not not um the eager that you introduced at the beginning but a different person whose three children died in the movie theater and he said that he tried to go up to the floor that the theater was on and and like was about to pass out from the carbon monoxide and so ran back down and got the firefighters and they like were very slow to follow him and then when they started following him somebody else was like no you need to go this way and they like wouldn't come and help him yeah so it doesn't it there was like maybe it was like a combination of situations or whatever but it also sounds like the firefighters were like incompetent in a particular way i'm just saying like we don't have enough information to judge what kinds of incompetence were going on because fire protocol like operates with a hierarchy that if you're told to go somewhere you know by the chief or whatever you have to do that and that's what was going on in that situation that person has been interviewed by multiple news outlets and that story is pretty well known now and it's extremely frustrating from like an outside perspective you're like what the fuck like why didn't they just go with him he knew where the kids were he knew how to get there he just didn't have a mask why didn't they give him a mask but it's like there is the other side of it which is that these firefighters you know were told to go another way and it's this horrible like bureaucratic thing where they were like but we were told to go down this hall so we have to or we can't give you a mask because if we give you a mask you know like and you go and die in there that's like our fault like we can't like send you in there you're not a trained firefighter so just the other side, of it, it's not that I'm trying to defend the way that this went down. I just don't have, en- we don't have enough information, I think, to re- really know at this point, like, how many mistakes were made and who made them. I mean, the fact that the fire alarm didn't go off, I think, is, like, major. The security guard who was arrested was arrested because he didn't respond fast enough. And it's other things. And he got scared or something. He got, like, nervous. <laughs> I thought that he, like, turned off the fire alarm and failed to trigger the alarm in the rest of the building because he had like panicked yeah exactly he he like once he realized what was actually going on he panicked and then didn't turn on the proper alarm or something since monday i believe the day after the fire there have been services held in the churches in Kemerova every 30 minutes um so there's like a very large religious element that was part of this process there's like a memorial now near the mall Everything is very, like, spontaneously made. The memorial just is, like, right outside the mall. People just laying thousands of flowers and stuffed animals. And in this school, like, center, which is just, like, a... I don't know, this, like, really horrible place where people are just waiting to hear if their child has been identified. They're just waiting for for any more information. There are also prayers taking place there. And the the archpriest, who's also kind of a religious community leader in the city, Gennady Knyazov, every so often would lead like a prayer session in the school gym itself with the help of other priests. 
prayers that Knyazev was giving was specifically for those who had not yet been identified, the children who had not yet been identified. And he was praying for their health, kind of like in a way of being like, until we know that they, until they've been identified, we don't know that they've actually died. Also, he told journalists that a lot of people through the night who were who were gathered in that in that school gym were in a state of not knowing were hoping that their children could possibly still be alive if, since they hadn't heard one way or the or another part of his role was just to like guide people through that really horrible ambiguity so on March 27th which was on Tuesday there was a very large protests gathering meeting in Kamarova as well as in several major cities in Russia. The gathering in Kamarova took place right outside the governor's office. Part of what was happening during this, like, I guess you can call it a protest because part of it was very protesty, was that people were coming out to demand more information from the authorities. There was this, like, really palpable sense of distrust People wanted to know, was the number of victims, the 64 dead, was that a real number? This is not like the first time that Russians react to authorities in, in, in tragedy this way, partly because they remember things like Beslan, which we, we've talked about, we talked about in our mother episode, when they were lied to, the people were lied to uh, very significantly, when the number of victims or hostages in that case uh, that they, the official number really was different from the actual number. So there's like thousands of people gathered on this square, several thousands, it's reported. And one of the questions people want is, as I said, like how many were dead? And one of the ways it's brought up, uh, suggested by the, by the mayor, is that there, a group of people can go and check in the morgue how many people are there. Within the crowd of people at the protest, 
Uh, one of the people standing with a mic is this very same Igor Vostrikov, who had the security camera video that we listened to first. And he's standing with another guy who speaks first, who says, we went to the morgue, who explains that he was part of the group who went and checked the morgue. The whole point of what they're saying is that they found that the numbers matched the official body count, but at the end, Vostrikov adds, like, we still don't really know. They could have just prepared really well. So there's this little, like, side skepticism at the end. The other piece of context that's important to know for this whole, like, mistrust and back and forth in terms of the body count is that apparently a Ukrainian guy who was being identified as a blogger made a prank call to the morgue and asked if they could take 300 bodies, which like started spreading a rumor that there were like hundreds, if not more. A criminal case has been opened against that person. Wait, so what's that blogger's name? He's known as Yevgeny Volnov. Okay. The other thing that was happening during these protests on March 27th in Kamarova was in addition to the demand for information for an investigation into the situation and into the incompetence of authorities was also a demand for authorities to resign. And at multiple points during this very long uh, all-day protest, people would, were just chanting resign. So they're saying, resign, like a command. So there are several thousand people chanting this. And at the very end, you can hear how one person calls specifically for Putin's resignation. So meanwhile, while the thousands of people are gathering outside the governor's office, the governor is in a meeting with Putin. Putin flew in. On March Wait, so sorry, sorry, sorry. Before we move on to Putin, um, I guess maybe you touched on this and I just missed it, but I like I want to ask about this kind of natural response of like tragic event happens and people immediately like kind of protest the government. I, I'm just trying to get at that thing that we kind of talked about over text, which is like this tragic event happens and people response is to like immediately protest which like that feels maybe not specifically russian but certainly not an american response i mean yeah like i i think what i did mention was the memory of other tragedies such as beslan which is not, not the only one but like tragedies that happen some in some part of russia some small city but then people all over the country mourn with that city and feel for that city and like come out and support and protest what i think like i don't know what what do you think what do you think would be a more american response i said this over text and i can say it again here which is like i mean the most obvious comparison between this event and an american event is that ghost ship fire that happened in Mm -hmm. oakland a couple of years ago and i was living in oakland at the time and I do remember there being some criticism of the government, but the the hatred and the like 
anger was directed at the owner of the building that burned down and that it was his negligence. And maybe in that case, it was just like, oh, the negligence was truly on the owner versus like with the winter cherry fire, like maybe some of the negligence is due to the government thing. But I think especially having done that, when the the mother's political mother's episode, there does seem to be this kind of natural response amongst Russians to after there's a tragic event for them to be like, upset with the government because they hold them responsible for keeping them safe oh i see what you so you're saying like you could just completely leave government out of this and be really upset with the owners of the mall which people are right but city city regulations are what keep like fire inspections current and right. a private company is not just gonna necessarily do that out of the goodness of their hearts so that would be nice but they're required to do that they're required to have everything up to date Right, but but I guess I guess the the guy who like shouts, and I know he's an extreme example, but I think he provides a good example. The guy that like shouts for Putin's resignation, like there is some sort of logical connection there to that person, and probably to a large number of people. Whereas like at the time that the ghost ship fire happened, like the thought that that would result in people like calling for Obama's resignation, like there's no logical connection there. Yeah, although like I think that we have ongoing tragedies in the u.s that are blamed on the powers that be wouldn't you say like that need to be handled on a larger level yeah i mean gun violence is a good example of that or like police brutality yeah police brutality but those but i mean police brutality that makes sense because police are part of the government with the gun violence thing that I mean, we could explain why that is like also a governmental issue. I'm I'm not saying that Americans don't ever hold the government accountable, but it does seem like there is a, a kind of automatic and natural response amongst Russians and potentially amongst people of a lot of different other countries that when tragedies happen, they hold the government accountable. And I, and I'm not making a, a judgment on whether or not that's like the right thing to do. Yeah, I don't I don't like I obviously don't disagree with you and I see that I see what you're saying. I think in this case, yeah, there's like a particular relationship also to Putin, to the president, that the president should be there, should make an appearance, should be there with people at this horrible moment. And that's something that we've seen repeated as tragedies happen, like whether or not Putin arrives, where is he? Remember with the Kursk, yeah. the submarine that sank in the early 2000s? Like, why, where is he, when is he going to show up and be with the families that are mourning? So there is this kind of like straight to the source of power thing <laughs> because, I mean, people are also really angry at the the local government and they're calling for their resignation. As I mean, like, definitely that's included. They're calling for the resignation of right. local government, but they quickly, yeah, go to sort of the source of power of like, you're the reason that things are the way they are in the country. You, this one person, Putin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, Putin did arrive uh, on March 27th. That's important to people, symbolically. So, during this protest that's happening outside the governor's office, Putin is actually inside the governor's office meeting with the governor and a couple of other local officials. Putin is doing that thing where he, like, quietly, calmly, collectedly asks, like, so what happened here? What went wrong? And the governor, Aman Tuleyev, responds to him. Aman 
на горе, на людском, начали вот вся эта позиционная сила, вот они в момент приехали, в момент. Идут по домам, идут на предприятие, которое рядом расположено, в жилой сектор. Сегодня там где-то человек 200, там, значит, вот, что хотят, это, это вообще не родственники погибших, это вообще вот, ну, те, кто постоянно возотели. Мы работаем с ними и говорим, нельзя, это святотатство, когда вот горе, а ты пытаешься на этом решить какие-то свои проблемы. So that this happened on our territory. Like, I don't know, it just like creeps me out. It's like weird clan way of speaking. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, sound creepy? Like yeah. it happened on our territory? I mean, you should just be sorry that it happened. Like, it doesn't matter right. that it's like yeah. on your territory and that, like, yeah. And then he launches into this monologue. I mean, the recording that we just listened to is this monologue where he immediately goes into a kind of like characterization of the people's reaction, the protests, etc., as this planned opposition, opportunist, staged thing. So he's basically accusing the people who are coming out in the thousands of, first of all, being 200 people. He's like 200 rabble-rousers. And <sighs> he is saying that they are using the people's grief as a platform for their personal issues and their, like, personal PR campaigns and he also at one point and this is really fucked up says like that's not it's not even relatives of the victims it's like yeah so like <laughs> a lot of people around the country are coming out this very day uh who are not relatives of the victims to show solidarity and this asshole is like they're just they're just the people who are always the rabble rousers that's what he says at the end of the cliff he's like it's not it's like the usual what's really fucked up about this is like again outside his window there are thousands of people chanting for his resignation <laughs> yet putin also knows that and so it's also this kind of putin-y thing where he's just like quietly listening and not not like he's not nodding or anything he's no i mean he, he he's not like I don't I don't remember if he's nodding, but the point is that he doesn't say, did you look out your window? Like, not 200. He just kind of like, just lets this guy do his thing. And he's like, okay. Yeah. And it's, it's fucked up because he knows that that's not the case. So Tulev, the governor, he's not the only authority figure who uses this sort of rhetoric to like dismiss the anti-government sentiment that we just discussed, which is rising up not only in Kemerova, but all over Russia various local protests in solidarity. So during the meeting, this same guy, Igor Vostrakov, who lost his sister and wife and three children, he at one point is speaking to the crowd because he's sort of coming out, as I explained before, as like a community leader in this situation. And the vice governor of the city, whose name is Sergei Sivilov, at one point accuses Vostrakov of just trying to get attention. So that was the voice in the beginning of Tsivilov, 
the vice governor, who asks Vostokov, what are you doing here? You're trying to promote yourself using grief? Like PR, PR yourself is the verb he uses. So Vostokov responds, explaining who he is. He says, I just lost my entire family. I lost my sister, my wife, my three children. And then he lists their ages, seven, five, and two. And as he's saying, he's kind of escalating like in volume. And around him, people are like repeating what he's saying. Like whole family, you can like hear echoes kind of of what he's saying. After his words, the vice governor obviously feels like a fucking dick that he is. And he gets down on one knee And it's like, I kneel and ask for your forgiveness Mm. with this crowd around him. And then the crowd is like trying to pull him up. Like, oh, don't. It's like, uh, it's like embarrassing or something. And it's this like confusing situation where he has a mic, the vice governor, but he's kneeling and he's saying like, like, forgive me. I didn't know. And then like, I'm kneeling before you. And then he stands up. Just to see another side of how this tragedy has been sort of like used in a way to like fit certain political platforms or platforms or arguments or ideas or whatever already in the week since it's happened. I want to give the example of how Alexei Navalny used this situation. He made a video about the Kemerova tragedy, which is sort of like in the style of all his other videos that uncover corruption. He often does videos on singular politicians he basically focuses on the authorities reaction to to the tragedy but he draws a very clear conclusion about what the cause of the tragedy was и я хочу сказать что этих людей в торговом центре зимняя вишня убила коррупция since it's a shorty i'm just gonna translate it and i want to say that those people in the winter cherry mall were killed by corruption. If you know anything about Navalny, you know that that's his platform, that he is anti-corruption. In order to explain his conclusion, he goes on to compare the deaths by fire in Russia and in other countries and shows that Russia has some of the worst stats in general on like deaths by fire. And he argues that that is because of the corrupt structure of receiving bribes instead of actually inspecting a building. You can just give someone money, and then they'll sign the paper that says they inspected it, that kind of thing. Or stealing large amounts of money that are supposed to be used for buying new updated equipment, but like some bureaucrats pocketing it at some level. So you end mm-hmm. up with these like underprepared, under-equipped firefighters. It's not like he's wrong. It's just that like he used it so cleanly for his platform. He's like, they were killed yeah, really by corruption. <laughs> really got to pop his little noggin in there. Yeah. So, same day, March 27th, as the protests, back to the morgue. Putin actually goes to the morgue and visits there with both the city's mayor, whose name is Ilya Serejuk, and the volunteer activists who include Vostrikov, who have come to check the body count in the morgue. Putin has this sort of eerie conversation. It looks really eerie. It's in the hallway. The hallway is poorly lit. It's a morgue. The camera quality isn't very good and the light is really sickly. And people are just crowding around him. And he's addressing the mayor in a similar way to how he addressed the governor in this sort of like quiet interrogative tone. 
походу не проверили ничего. Да, я тоже хотел спросить, проверка. Не проводится. Два года не проводили, проверка. Владимир Владимирович, проводилась проверка. Госпожнадзором были выданы. 16-й были выданы. 16-18. Были выданы подписания, и затем был объект перепродан. А поскольку мы... Почему здесь перепродано? Безопасность должна быть обеспечена. Продано или перепродано? Какая разница? Безопасность должна быть обеспечена. Какая разница? Что Служба должна работать. Обеспечивать безопасность. So as you can hear, Putin's almost like whispering. I mean, it's not just the like poor sound quality of the recording. He's like speaking very quietly. And he addresses the mayor about fire inspections. He says, so the last fire inspection was in 2016. And the mayor kind of like mumbles this like frightened response about like, well, the the building, it was resold. And then it was something, you know, like, I mean, you can hear his tone is not that scared sounding, but he's not like answering the question. He's just talking right. about where the building, like what happened to the building and like what the status of the building was in terms of who owned it. And Putin just interrupts him and is like, what are you talking about? Like sold, resold? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You need to have fire safety. You need to have security measures. But he's saying it in this very quiet, controlled voice that he uses. I mean, so yeah, there, there's in terms of incompetence and like proof of incompetence, there's some clear incompetence on the like preparation level for sure. And I think that the mayor has been mayor that exact time period. So he'd been mayor since 2016. Mm -hmm. Good job, buddy. <laughs> so, remember Tulev, the guy who complained about rabble-rousers and is the governor of Kamarova? Yes. On April 1st, announced his request for resignation in a video that he addressed to his city fellow citizens and particularly the people of southwestern Siberia. Совершенно честно, как перед иконой, могу вам сказать, что в своей работе я всегда руководствовался интересами нашей страны, России и нашей области. Еще раз спасибо всем за то, что всегда были рядом в горе, в радости. И примите поклон. Сегодня, сейчас хочу сказать вам, я подал президенту Российской Федерации прошение об отставке. So Tulev's address begins with him saying that he wants to he wants to be honest, and he says he wants to be honest as quote before an icon. He's he uses a lot of religious imagery. And then he, at one point, when he's kind of like in the process of thanking people in that clip, he says, and I bow to you. And he bows his head in the video. And then when he says that he has given his notice, basically, for resignation to President Putin, he goes on to explain that he did that because he feels that it's like the only possible decision and that he's not fit to serve as governor with such a, quote, heavy burden. He uses this word, impossible, like, I can't, it can't be done. It's, like, impersonal. Mm. Morally. I don't know what that means. But Putin, on April 1st, accepted Tulev's resignation. And now Sergei Tsivilov, 
the guy who accused Igor Vostrikov of PRing is now the temporary governor. In addition to this resignation, which is one of the things that people called for, there have also been, as we mentioned, like a number of arrests, a total of seven arrests, basically all of people related directly to the mall. So like the director of the mall, the security guard, the owner of the mall, um, and then also the former head of the state like supervision and inspection company. So people responsible for making sure everything is safe and the head of the f- company that ensures that the fire signals work. I think it's probably going to still unfold. I mean, that just happened today to live. And when we're recording on Sunday, April 1st, Wait, are you going to talk a little bit about the funerals at all? I mean, I know that, yeah, like. One of the issues with funerals is that some of the victims have been, their remains have been sent to Moscow for forensic investigation to make sure they have, like, identified them properly. And so there's a delay of up to, like, a few weeks. Or people are being told that they will maybe hear about, like, the identity of their loved ones in the next few weeks. So it's kind of, like, still this horrible waiting period. That's the episode. Thanks for listening. As always, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Arena, and Telegram at She's in Russia. Subscribe to our monthly image-based newsletter at She's in Russia.com. If you have any questions about Russia, give us a call on Skype at She's in Russia or at plus one three four seven two nine two seven one two six and leave a message. And we will see you next week with the history of the Lenin statue on the Lower East Side. Thank you.